Hello, I'm Rina Deepthi Anabil, aka Mummy Imperfect, and you're listening to The Sisterhood of Mummy Imperfect, the podcast where each and every week I explore the wonderful world of womanhood with the help of my fabulous guests. And this podcast is a place where you get your weekly dose of unfiltered girl chat. It's a place where we celebrate those women who are game changers. Now, you might be listening to this on Podbean or any other podcast platform. But if you are tuning in live on YouTube, then know that you can comment and you can ask a question at any point and we would love to hear from you. But first of all, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt yourself falling for someone but then thought, no, I can't because they are not from my race or my religion? Have you ever battled with your own prejudice when it comes to falling in love? So my guest this episode did exactly that. Sandeep Kaur went on her own journey from prejudice to love. She's written a book about it called Love and Prejudice and she's joining me now on the podcast live from LA to tell me more about it. Hi Sandeep. Hi, how are you? I'm good and I'm, I'm so glad that we could do this. Me too. I've never done anything live like this in this format. So I'm like, what do I do with my face? Do you know what? <laughs> just just act normal. That's all. Just act- <laughs> That was a great intro. Thank you. Like very concise. Um, well, you know what? I, I just, I, I read your book and I just want to say well done because I mean, the fact that you wrote it and, you know, have got it out there, the research that was put into it, because that was, it was deep. And you did a lot of research for this, right? I did so much research and it was actually really hard to figure out what to put in and what to keep out. I ended up cutting out probably like 40 Word document pages. So probably 100 actual book pages of research. Um, I, I realized that just because I had it here didn't mean that everyone was going to digest it. So I had to be really careful with what I picked for the book. Mm-hmm. But it was very extensive. <laughs> Right. So it's called Love and Prejudice. So can you just kind of tell people about the themes that are in it? Yeah. So I it's called Love and Prejudice because it does a little bit of a deep dive into my relationship with my partner, Mel, um, and just the depth of my love for him and me getting pregnant as a byproduct of my love for him. But it also does dive into my own history of prejudice in conjunction with the prejudice from my own community. So I think that's what makes my book a little bit unique in the sense that, you know, we talk a lot about anti-blackness in the South Asian community, but not a lot of people are willing to go out there and say, yes, I am prejudiced. I am racist. And here are some examples that show you how. And some of the examples that I I use are, you know, some people were pretty shocked that I included them in the book. Um, but I think they're important because they really highlight the depth of my ignorance with regards to the reality of the existence of the prejudice. So I think love and prejudice perfectly encapsulates the two main themes of the book, which was we have prejudice and the reality of that, but how love forced me to face that and untangle myself from it. And it's a constant. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm fully prejudice free because I don't think that's real. But then is anyone because we all have grown up with certain like I mean no. it's just being judgmental in a way right it, and I mean it's it's one it's another thing on which you can judge someone yes and also I don't think that we'll ever come across every single situation in the world that is going to challenge our prejudice so I don't know what situations I haven't 
come into yet where I'm going to have that gut reaction, especially when you're, when you're learning, you're being taught narratives from birth. They become so integrated into our perception of the world that they become kind of gut instinctual reactions. And part of the unlearning process is recognizing and stepping back from it. But because they're so inherent in, in the fabric of our development, I think it's really, really unrealistic for people to say, yeah, I'm completely prejudice free. I'm not racist at all. I have a black partner or whatever partner from whatever race. I, I think that's really unrealistic. It's quite a big deal for you to kind of put your hands up in this book, right? For On behalf of yourself and your family and to be like, do you know what? We have been racist to black people because that's basically what you're saying, right? And yeah. and, and then, and I think it, that's like uncomfortable thing that like most Asian people, South Asians reading that will be like, mm, I am too. But then, you know, nobody <laughs> will actually admit it and people will pretend that they're fine. Yeah, actually, I got it. It was like, the, it was the nicest message I've woken up to in a while. I got a message from a gentleman who came across my book um, when I published it. Um, I was marketing it on LinkedIn. And um, he texted me because I had met him in, in briefly when he reached out to me about the book prior. And he was like, you know, I'm half Chinese. I'm, I'm Chinese and white. My One of my parents is Chinese. One of my parents is white. And when I read your book, I was like, oh my gosh, I can relate to a lot of these things. These are the things I thought growing up. And I had no idea how little I knew about the black experience. And just reading, reading your words made me face those same parts in myself. So it's d uncomfortable and a lot of the people in our community i think because we have this narrative of the challenges and the struggles of the immigrant experience we believe we're we're one of the group of people who struggles and yes it's true but we haven't teased out the nuances in our experiences and recognize that there is no equivalence and i think part of the problem is also that in in the South Asian culture, we don't really talk about feelings. We don't we don't talk about uncomfortable things. We, especially in the diaspora, we we seek proximity to whiteness and and filling out all these boxes of being like the good girl, the good boy, sticking to the rules and going by the book, mm -hmm. and saying I'm racist is not in our DNA. Yeah, because you pretend that you yeah. you're fine. yeah you pretend. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really uncomfortable. And even my parents, like to this day, you know, they've, they've come such a long way. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't dive into this too much in the book, because I didn't want it to be a distraction. But when I left my ex husband, I disowned my family, I basically said, you have the option to, you know, grow and be in my life or not, but I don't actually need you when I'm leaving. So I like, ran away back to New York. And I'm so grateful that they were willing to step up and grow to learn why I needed to separate myself from the community. Um, but I, I'm really, I'm really lucky they did that work, but even now they still struggle. You know, their, their granddaughter is black and Indian and I'm constantly correcting them and saying, okay, that's, that's not okay for you to say that's racist or that's a trope we can't feed into daddy. Like, you know, better. So you have to do better. Um, and he adores my daughter. He is the, like the grandpa of the, of the year. We take her to baby gym and all the people at baby gym know my dad. Like, oh my God, he's so good with your daughter. And even he will say things like in Punjabi, like, like she looks so black today. Or like really? cracking on Jemima jokes or like, oh, like whatever, you know, like, yeah. and I'm like, daddy, <laughs> no. <laughs>
So um, even the people who are on the path of becoming better and educating themselves, even they have moments of, of being pulled back into the, that prejudiced way or that um, stereotyped way of, of viewing the community. Because, I mean, it's been from birth, right? So this Absolutely. kind of thing has been from birth. I've heard a lot of stuff, you know, growing up and yeah, I, I have any like uncomfortable things and, and it's like that unlearning thing, it, um, like my own parents have grown as well. So, but it is, I don't know, it's it's bad. And and maybe myself, because I, I think you've really looked at yourself and um, about like, you know, things that you used to do and things that you're unlearning. Um, I probably haven't, but maybe if I looked at myself, there, prob <laughs> there probably would be things that would be a bit like, you know, um, but you know, it's talking about that whole unlearning thing, you know, what, what kind of things did you have to unlearn? Like, did you, were you one of those people who was like, can I touch your hair to a black person? Because I'm not going to lie, I have done that, but it was 20 years ago and I have evolved <laughs> since then. Was it, was it before you met your husband? No. <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> I think I, I think so I, I probably wanted... said that to somebody in his family, and and to this day they probably hold it against me. But you know, I want to hear about your story as well. So I've never. Well, the the reality is, I was never really exposed to black people until I left my marriage, and then my introduction to cultures outside of my own you know, and you know I had friends who were from Iran and Syria and different countries within Asia and so I, I wasn't just with Punjabi people but there is something very unique about black culture and so when I say different cultures I mean specifically I wasn't really exposed to black culture or black people period um, until I left my marriage and when I left my marriage I kind of immediately walked into uh, a friendship with a, a woman from St. Lucia who was black and prior to that, I don't think I ever would have asked to touch anyone's hair. I think that was an intuitive thing because I didn't like people commenting on me. Like white people were always talking about me and how exotic I was and, and my features yeah. and my hair that I think intuitively, I just didn't want to ever do that to someone else. But because of this friendship that, you know, it became very deep, very fast. I didn't have to ask to touch her hair. She was like, here is my hair, Learn. do you wanna learn how I take care of it? And in the process of growing in this friendship, I, I learned like you, black hair is a very sensitive charged yeah. subject and it has been used, it has been weaponized against the black community horribly. Um, and I think just because of that, I've never been like, oh, can I touch your hair? When I met, met my partner, you know, he loves when I touch his hair and scratch his hair. He's taught me how to like, you know, scratch it in a certain way to go with his waves. And no, I haven't, but I've done a lot of <laughs> worse things. You've done worse things? <laughs> yeah, I've like thought worse things. Like I was one of those people when, and I'll say this openly, when, when George Floyd was the face of the Black Lives Matters movement in America, I, I struggled, like, why is it him? You know, he's done X, Y, Z, here's, here, you know, he, he was on drugs, he held a gun to someone's head, and I completely missed the point. Were you like, with no, your partner at this point? I was, and I'm very lucky in the sense that I have a partner who, you know, there are people who are in relationships with Black people, 
who have these thoughts and these intuitive thoughts and they keep them to themselves and like try to figure out on their own. Whereas I have a partner who's very, very, very open and he knows that I'm just, I'm hungry to, to tackle every part of myself that I think is still stuck in a, a backward way of thinking. And so I, I said to him, listen, like, here's what I, I, my gut reaction is. How, how do I untangle myself from this? Because I'm recognizing that, you know, that doesn't mean anyone deserves to die. Mm -hmm. You know, and even we had, um, there in, in Los Angeles, it's, it's so tragic. There was this teacher who was tased to death. I think he was about, he was either 29 or 31. This happened a couple of months ago and it was horrible. And I found out when I was reading one of the reports that he had cocaine in his system. And my immediate reaction was like, oh, well, he was on drugs. And then I had to step back and be like, your white roommate in New York regularly did cocaine when she was going to her rich mm -hmm. little parties in Manhattan. Did she deserve to get tased to death? Yeah. You know, so even here, I have a daughter who is black and Indian, and I'm still to this day confronting these gut reactions. Yeah. So and in my mind, I think that's worse than asking if I can touch someone's <laughs> hair because there's still a part of my, a, still a small part of me that will immediately rationalize inhumanity and dehumanizing. And then I have to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa what are yeah. you doing? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, at least, at least you're actually, uh, do say what are you doing and kind of confront yourself as it were um but in your book like you know like um I spoke to you before briefly and I said it was shocking in some ways and the things that I thought were shocking were things like I probably wasn't really that aware of that you really looked into like you know like um just the black people's history in America and how it's so different from maybe like you people like you who uh, your family um were immigrants but you went from you know it was your own choice, your family's own choice to go there, start a business and everything. And how, you know, the Jim Crow laws and all this kind of thing. So it helped me to understand that a bit more because I think I feel like I fully never understood it before. So that was really interesting to me. But just shocking the way that, you know, when you think about it and you don't really think about it too much as a, you know, an Indian immigrant because I we're, our family's the same. Like, you know, my, my granddad came to the UK couldn't read or write properly opened businesses mm -hmm. and it's like work hard open businesses buy houses oh yeah you can know you can live the dream do what you want and everything but then you know this whole thing of like uh, like thousands of people being taken to a place against their will and then even when slavery was over the fact that these laws kind of made sure that it was still going on even though it was technically over so I mean, I found that really interesting and also just really horrifying, actually. It was less than 100 years ago where a person could go to jail for having a kid with a black person, playing checkers with a black person, having their hair cut by a black person. Um, even in America now, California is the only state that makes it illegal to discriminate against a black person for their natural hair. In different states in America, if a black person wears their hair naturally and it's deemed unprofessional, technically, it's not against the law to not hire that person. Wow. And like, this is like, literally, like I washed my hair. This is, it's still a little bit wet. It's drying. Can you imagine being told by the world that the way your hair grows out of your head is not okay? Mm. And because of that, I'm going to withhold an opportunity from you to advance in the world, to pay your bills, to build yourself professionally. Um, 
And that there's um, the chapter is the blue eyed boys in the vagina monologue. That kind of was the heart of, of my book where that conversation with the, 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 the Jewish boy, where I was basically like, you know, what about us? Like, what about me? I've been spit on. I'm 33 years old. I've been sexually assaulted because I'm Indian. I've been physically assaulted because I'm Indian. I've been spit on. I've been bullied. I've been ridiculed. I've been mocked. My my manager at a Fortune 500 company spoke to me in an Indian accent because he thought it was funny. Wow. Okay, so I have all of these examples of experiencing violence and discrimination as a result of my skin. And I use that as a reason to justify my own prejudice against a black community. Like, oh, look what my people go through and look where we are. My dad worked so hard to give me a good education. And, you know, the black community, they have all the same resources we have. We struggled too. But I didn't know that that was the American dream is the American dream for the people who come here with luxury and the privilege of, of upward mobility. It is not something that is accessible for people who have literally poured their blood and their sweat and their actual bones into the foundation of this country. Like I, I write about it in my book. There are actual slave, the people enslaved people actually had their teeth pulled to make dentures for the wealthy. And yeah, and this is one of the their things where I was like, hair, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, their hair was used to stuff furniture. So um, did you did you want to write this book like after you had convers certain conversations with your partner? You know, when I had originally started, I've always wanted to, I've always been writing. Um, I wrote this article called I'm Indian, He's Black, My Journey from Prejudice to Love on um, a platform called Medium, and it went viral. Um, and I realized, wow, this is a conversation that people are interested in, in, in hearing, and not a lot of people are talking about it. And I had been toying with the idea of writing a book, and then I found out I was pregnant. So we had planned on having a baby, but we had planned down the road. And she decided to manifest in our lives way earlier than we planned. Mm -hmm. And when I found out I was pregnant, I got so scared because I was I was just like, I I know I am a source of gossip right now because my partner is black. And now I am I am having this baby. I've always wanted to be a mother. I'm very protective. And I just kept thinking to myself, what is the world I will be bringing this child into? And how can I expect my community to grow and to evolve without showing them how I grew and evolved? Set the example. And I had um, gone to therapy for a while because my upbringing was very different from Melvin's. We had very different lived experiences and it was hard for me to grapple with some of the experiences he'd had. So I um, found a black therapist who helped basically change my life completely. And he said to me, your child will be black. And I was like, no, 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 they're gonna be Indian and they're gonna be black when we have kids. No, no, no. And he's like, no, 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 no. The world is gonna see them as black. Your community will see your child as black. And when I found out I was pregnant, I just thought I need to do something. And, and I, I, the solution was I have this gift of writing. Let me write a book and, and try to set a good example. 
Um, I mean, I think it's awesome that you did that, just, you know, wanting to make a change and you actually did something. So that's so cool. And I did, how did you feel though, like in your heart when somebody told you that, you know, this child that you are going to have, that is obviously part of you and part of your partner is people won't really see this kid as Indian. Like, how did that make you feel? I still struggle with it. I still to this day struggle with it. Cause she looks like her dad, you know, she's lighter skinned. Um, but she looks like her dad. She has a black nose. She has hair that sticks straight out of her head. It's like there's soft, loose curls. But Melvin will say, like, she's going to have a little bit of a baby fro because it just it goes outward. It doesn't go down, curls. It goes out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I look at her and I, I see my child. And it's only when Melvin will be like, oh, that's my black baby. And I'd be like, oh, right, race. You are black. And the the question of identity is one I talk a lot about in my book. And I think my anxieties over ha- not knowing what it was like to be a Black person in this country, but having a child who will likely identify herself as Black, it, it hit its peak when one of Mel's Black friends, who we don't really speak to anymore, told us that she did not think our child would be Black. Oh, because okay. I was Indian. And was this a black person that said this? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it you wrote about it in the book, actually? Yeah. Yeah. She was like, your child is not black. She's biracial. And Melvin was like, I'm black. My kid's going to be black. My kid's also going to be Indian. She's going to be both. But the friend was like, no, she she is as black as Kamala Harris is black. Obama is not black. They call themselves black, but they're not black. And then that, that I asked that person, like, who are you to say what my child's identity is? If my child grows up and is treated by the world as if she's black, she identifies as black, who are you to say she's not? And I think as a brown woman who grew up in a predominantly white community, who was never Indian enough because I assimilated so hard to be accepted at school, who was never Indian enough for home, but never white enough for the world, and I had the struggle with identity. I still have so much anxiety over my child's identity. I actually just hired a Punjabi tutor because I'm like, I need to get my Punjabi back. I've been cooking Punjabi food. We're going to be listening to Punjabi music. Like I'm going to immerse you in all things Punjabi. So, you know, I gave this part of your identity to you. You have the option of co-opting it for yourself. And that's all I can do. Right. Yeah. No, it that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I I relate to that completely because um, you know, obviously I have three daughters and it, I was when when I was pregnant, I did say to my husband I was like, "Oh, are they going to be confused? Like are, are is that what our kids are going to be? Just like who are we and are, do we belong anywhere and all this kind of thing." You know, you do think that. And mm-hmm. um like for me because I I'm I think I'm quite desi as a person um which was which was why a lot of people were quite shocked that I probably didn't get married to somebody from India or something like that but um so the things that I've always done I keep doing them so they're they are influenced by a lot of you know my culture I think um and they've been to India a couple of times and stuff but I it is that uh, you do have to make that effort if you want them to be exposed to the culture to you know like the language and everything like that because like I speak Punjabi to them as much as I can and it's extra effort obviously because you know you and 
your partner are not talking in Punjabi, you know. So it's an extra effort to then talk to your child in Punjabi, right? You have to remember, oh, I must do that. I must do that. It's another thing. Yep. But, but then I then I think I won't forgive myself if I don't do it. Like I have to try. That's how I feel because a part of me, you know, I, I don't resent my parents, but I definitely um, give them a hard time over the fact that they did not encourage us to speak Punjabi and to maintain that connection with my culture. And when in my, my, my marriage, I was with my ex-husband for almost eight years and we would speak Punjabi to each other all the time. We were very tapped into the culture and he was kind of um, the anchor into my Punjabiness, you know, mm. and when I left him, I shed all of it. I basically just off, like discarded that whole identity, Punjabi identity to, right. just to get away. And I, I couldn't, leaving him was one of the hardest things I've ever done because I still loved him when I left him. Mm. Um, and getting over him, he met a Gori like, like six months later. Really? And it took me, mm-hmm. and it was funny because I was actually never Indian enough for him either. Um, at our wedding, I couldn't say, sing some of the Punjabi songs and he made fun of me for it. And then he ended up with this, a white woman, which I thought was really funny. Um, but it took me a few years actually to truly heal enough to even conceive of being with someone else. And part of that healing journey was I had to remove myself from my culture, not just because I realized how problematic it was from a a social justice perspective, from a, um, you know, female oppression perspective, but also because it reminded me of my ex-husband. So now that I'm a mother, I am easing back into connecting to my own culture because I don't want my daughter to say, I don't know who I am. You know, I, I have Punjabi blood, but I don't know, I don't know my culture. You know, I am very committed to, I have been also very committed to understanding Black culture and to exposing myself to as much Black culture as possible. And Melvin is a very, very involved father. His uh, mother is very, very involved in our daughter's life. So mm-hmm. my hope is to expose her to both, but because I'm still reacquainting myself to Punjabi culture. And I am, I do have that fear that like, I'm not gonna speak to her enough in Punjabi. I'm not gonna cook her enough Mm -hmm. food. So as she grows up, she's still gonna have that like disassociation from what it means to actually be Punjabi. Um, Do your parents have a lot to do with you guys? And you know, are things good in that way? Are they part of- Oh yeah, absolutely. They are very, very involved. My mother doesn't live here. She lives in, um, she lives in a different state. She lives in Arizona. Um, My father is very involved. Um, It it took, it took time for them to wrap their minds around my divorce. My dad actually offered, he wanted to pay me to stay married. Um, He was like, I'll get you. Yeah, he's like, I'll get you an apartment in the city because I lived in West Sacramento at the time. He's like, I'll get you an apartment in the city. You don't have to live with him. You can have your own life and and work on your marriage from a distance. What is the salary of the job you're getting? I'll pay you that salary to stay. Um, And I was just like, Daddy, like I'm literally cutting myself because I'm so unhappy. Like I'm not staying in this marriage. And when I, I think seeing how far and fast I was willing to run away from them they realized that they had to change and grow if they wanted to keep me because I had made it clear to them that I was done living my life I'd always been the good girl of of all my family members of all the cousins especially in America I've always been the good girl 
Like I've always stayed out of mm-hmm. trouble. I didn't date boys. I got good grades. I went to like the top brand name schools. And this was like the, oh my God, what is Sandeep doing? Like finally she's rebelling. What? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it made them uncomfortable when I started um, dating African men. Um, and I say African specifically because these were men who were from Africa or the Caribbean, African or Caribbean mm-hmm. men. And uh, my mom said, like, she's just a phase. You're just having fun. Get out of your system. And then when I met Melvin, and I was like, Mama, this isn't a phase. Like, this is my my partner. Um, I, I do think a part of her was kind of surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that point, she and my father had done therapy. They'd done a lot of work on themselves and gotten to know Melvin. They were just like, you know what? You did everything we wanted you to do. And you were suicidal. <laughs> At this point, we want you to be happy. And if this person is treating you well, bust. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. Um, in between, though, <laughs> there were things that were said. I had a partner. My mother, you know, may have used the N-word when she described him. Um, so, <laughs> so, oh, dear. <laughs> so um, getting to that point before Melvin, there was definitely work. But by the time that I met him... They had done so much of the work that it was just kind of, all right, well, it is what it is. And now they love him more than they love me. <laughs> I mean, that, that is quite a journey, though, from like, you know, using an N-word to oh, using absolutely. the N-word for a, an ex-part. And like, that's, that's quite, that is quite bad. And and that is a big journey, you know, like even, even for me, like, because you know, it took time for my parents to come around to the fact that I wanted to marry my husband. Um, and and they said things as well, which I think they either have forgotten or like would like to, you know, just pretend that they never said or whatever, because yeah. we've come such a long way. And even like, because I, I don't think, you know, I, I don't really talk about that to my kids. Like, I, I always joke, I'm like, oh, yeah, we had an arranged marriage. And they know it's a joke, of course. But um I I don't really I wouldn't want them to know those things because my parents are so involved and you know do you know what I mean they would feel a little yeah. bit yeah. odd about and it. You know, I did I did think a lot about that as I was writing the book, which was like oh my gosh my my child at the I didn't we didn't know if we were gonna have a boy or a girl until she was born, um, but like oh my gosh my child is gonna be old enough one day to read this book and and realize what mama thought and what Nanaji used to say Mm -hmm. and like do I want that for her and I talked a lot about it with Mel and he was basically just like your our our child is going to be so loved and and they're going to grow up to real to see why you did what you did and to show what it means to grow and to evolve as a person you're setting an example and we don't our child isn't going to grow up with rose tinted glasses like I forget who I was talking to um, it was I Know Your Rights Camp, which is an organization in, in um, America that basically empowers and educates black and brown youth on how to navigate the legal system and what to do when they're, you know, they, they're confronted by the authorities. Actually, all the profits from the book, uh, my book sales are being donated to them. But um, they were thinking about like, you know, what if we include your book as part of like our, the backpacks we give out? And I remember saying like, well, I don't want the kids to read the book because it's, I say horrible things about black people in there. And they're like, this is nothing they haven't heard before. Like they're exposed to this all the time. And the way you're presenting it is, is through a journey of growth. And 
that's kind of the perspective that Mel and I have taken with this is like yeah. Ishani is going to grow up very aware of the state of the world. We're not, we're going to protect her in the sense that no one is going to harm her. She's going to be psychologically safe within our home and within the community we build for her, but we're not putting on rose tinted glasses for her. I want her to grow up as a warrior. I want her to grow up ready to fight yeah. for what is right to fight for people who look like her, for people who are from the black community, from people who are from oppressed communities. I want her to fight. And in order to fight, to be a fighter, to be a warrior, you have to know what's going on so that's kind of how we approached it um you know when you started dating your partner did you did you ever think like okay you know you're really cool I'm really into you but I don't know because you are a different race mm -hmm. but then you know to this day and I say this so everything I say to people they get kind of shocked that like, oh my God, you talk about this with your partner. And we have a very radically transparent, a very, very radically transparent relationship. So I've we just had this conversation a month ago where I said a part of me still grieves the fact that I'm not with a Punjabi man because I it's that's a whole part of my identity that I'm not losing, but that I'm not necessarily nurturing with my life partner. And there's a part of me you'll never truly be able to access or truly be able to see or understand because you are not Punjabi. Mm. So and and you have had that as well, though, with your ex-husband. Like obviously, yeah, you got away I, from him for a reason. You weren't happy, but you did have that. Those and I know things, what it's right? like to be. Yeah. I know what it's like to be out in public and to laugh and crack a joke in Punjabi or to mutter something about someone you're around in Punjabi and like, you know. To, to hear music and to automatically feel your shoulders start to move like there's that connection that you cannot have with another person because they are not from your culture and when I chose Melvin as my life partner I recognized that I'm not going to say that I sacrificed that but I willingly closed that part of my life because when you have a life partner, when you have a, a romantic partnership and a, a partnership with a person with whom you're raising a child, mm. it's a very unique relationship. And it it taps into to parts of yourself that other friendships and relationships don't. But when you're in a relationship with a person who's from a different culture, doesn't speak your language, yeah. doesn't understand your food, it is like a part of you that they're never really going to see. God, that this is quite deep. Like I feel a bit like, oh, hearing that. But, no, but it's true. I haven't had that experience of kind of being in a relationship or, or married to somebody who was Punjabi. So I, I don't know. It's not like, you know, it's a thing that I had and then I lost. And I can understand how it was, that was for you because you experienced it, you know, and the Indian in-laws and all this kind of thing. But I'm not going to lie. I did actually, you know, I've had times where, you know, I got really sad at one point because I thought, oh no, you can't appreciate Gurdas Man's music the way I do and don't understand how much it literally like touches my soul or like you know I grew up watching Hindi movies and you you know I kind of thought when I get married I'm gonna have a mother-in-law standing there doing my arti and all this and putting thil at the door for me to come in and then you know you do get married and you're like uh hello like where's the thil and where's yeah, the arti you know I had that yes and <laughs> I had that and it's so like I still grieve that. Like I, my, my ex-mother-in-law was amazing. One of the reasons I married my ex-husband was because I loved her so much. Oh. 
actually, it took me longer to get over her than it took me to get over my ex-husband. Like, mm. I feel like crying just thinking about her now. And I honestly, like, um, this was three weeks ago, I started crying in the car because I was like, oh, my God, Melvin, like, she's not really tapped. She's not really a part of, 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 my, of our community. Like, I, my family members don't really, you know, talk to their family members. But, like, what if she finds my book and she reads it? That's gonna make me so sad to like for her to. I'm gonna start crying now. Like, oh no, don't. Like this is this is. I don't want her to think that is all I took from us from her. You know what mm. I mean? Like, and, and and I was watching your reel the other day when you had the bunda like you brought the oh, yeah. and then I was like, Aki, Aki, I have them. You know, like our partners will never understand just how funny that is. Yeah, because there are certain things that like when you translate over into English, it's just not the same. <laughs> No, but you know what? I will say that um, your daughter will understand because- You think so? Yes, because let me tell you something, right? So I've, I've got three daughters and I, at one point before I had kids, I used to like try and force my husband to watch Hindi films. And like he did watch some of them and, you know, liked some of them and whatever. Melvin falls asleep within two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, they are long. Um, but, and so he did, he did. But then I, I kind of thought, oh, do you know what? It'd be so nice if I had like little girls and we could sit here like watching things together. And they do, like we will literally, we'll make jokes about, you know, that include dialogues of Gubbi Hushi Gubbi Gum, of DDLJ. Really? Oh my gosh. Yeah, like oh, all the time. Know. So um 13, 12 and 6. Oh, and okay. and honestly like part of our humor is those are those things, you know, the, all my the videos that I make, they might like my husband gets them, but they get them as well. I like, really get them and you know, um a lot of the you know, we'll, yeah, funny dialogues from Hindi movies and things like that because they're quite into that. Um my name's yeah. Pooh. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my <laughs> gosh. All of the, literally like Gubby Kushi Gubby Gum. All of Pooh's dialogues are just littered in our everyday conversation. So you know what I mean. You will have that, and we talk about um, our trips to India. And like obviously, my husband has been as well. But um, it's different for them because it's like you know when you have because he he is going as somebody uh, he went as somebody who was black and stuck out because he's six foot three a huge black guy and twice the size of everybody else plus like there it's not very diverse in India you know what I mean so but then they went there as people who've got an Indian mom you know what I mean so it's kind of like okay maybe you know you said things like um they might not be accepted and people might be like oh you know you're actually black but you know what for you to know that I've got an Indian mom and I do actually belong here. I have an Indian mom. I am Indian and I, I will wear a lenga and all this and, and feel nice and I'll, you know what I mean? Wear my Indian jewelry and my bindis and feel proud of myself because that's what they do. They do that. And, really? and yeah, that's, and so, you know, so when you, your daughter grows up, the way that you're bringing her up by the sounds of it and, you know, the fact, the exposure that she has to your culture and the exposure that she has to your family it will happen and it will be really nice because you will have somebody to celebrate Diwali with and things like that because you'll have taught her and she'll have learned and she will feel like it's a part of her because I I, that's what I found. I hope so because I don't really talk to my family here. Um, like my dad has an uncle and an, a, a brother and a sister, my, my, my pua and my chacha and they live within 20 minutes of me and I haven't seen them in 10 years. 
Um, and my bua actually has like spread rumors about me and my partner to India. Um, so as, as in, uh, Indian families love to do, don't they? Yeah. Um, but I'm really privileged in the sense that I have a few cousins um, who have reconnect, I've reconnected with and they love Ishani and they love Mel. And so my hope is as Ishani gets older and, you know, Melvin and I do want to have more children, um, I can also tap into the Desi community in LA that's not necessarily blood related to me and create a community for myself. Yeah. Um, and it is selfish because I'm not just going in like I care about you as people, but like I want you to be here for my daughter. <laughs> like I have an ulterior motive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think when you do have have kids and, you know, especially like when they start going to school and things like that, your community does grow because I remember like, like me and my husband, when we moved into the flat that we used to live in, like when we got married, all we cared about was where's the tube stop? how long does it take us to get into central London where's the motorway that's it and then you don't care about anything else and when when you have kids it's like oh you know where are the schools where's this where's the library blah 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 and then you know you you do end up building a community just through what the kids are doing are your parents very involved with your children yeah 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 Uh, yeah, um no they live about um an hour and a half away but like we talk to them all the time and we see them a lot we'll go and stay there you know every half term every holiday do they speak in Punjabi to your children no they don't no no and I want them to and you know what my Punjabi is quite good and the reason it is good is because I um spoke Punjabi before I spoke English because we used to live with my grandparents and we used to live with extended family who all spoke Punjabi and I spent a lot of time with my nanny So therefore there was that whole, you know, speaking Punjabi and my parents would speak, everybody would speak Punjabi around me. Whereas now my grandma's passed away and, you know, they, they just don't, I've spoken English with my parents and I say to them, can you teach these kids Hindi and Punjabi, please? Because they're very good at Hindi and Punjabi and they'll do it for two minutes and then they'll forget. Oh my God, I know. My dad will call Ishani Kato, my little Kato, you know, like little squirrel, Kato, Kato. Um, but everything is in English. And I'm like, Daddy, you're... my dad speaks like amazing Urdu, Hindi, Punjabi. Like he's so, he has like Ikdam Dead Punjabi yeah. too. Like you would have no idea he's been here for like 40 years. Um, and when he's when he speaks, when I hear him and my, my dada speaking in Punjabi, like I just feel so grounded. I don't know what they're saying like 75% of the time because it's like so intense and fast. Um, but I'm like, okay, I know you you speak Punjabi regularly, Papa. Like, why are you not speaking into Ashani? <laughs> yeah, my my dad does things like I say, Oh, please can you speak Punjabi? And he goes, Punjabi on the and they go Hanji and he goes, Oh, that's amazing, great. <laughs> And and I'm like, <laughs> the, and I'm, they they do yeah on the air because I've been teaching them and it takes a bit more than just asking them that. Did you put I them do, in Punjabi school or like a? a no, like a I haven't. School? No, I haven't put them in Punjabi school. I'm just trying to, yeah, I'm just teaching them myself. And I think um, because they do like Hindi films and that kind of thing, and they and they are exposed to you know their extended family, they'll hear bits and then picking up bits of Hindi like understanding is quite good as well because I just feel like realistic you're going to be realistic as well like I know that they're not going to be fluent in Punjabi they're just not it's just not going to happen unless we well, I'm not fluent in Punjabi so how can she be fluent in Punjabi well this is the thing it's like you know in you have to kind of 
with, with me i had to say to myself okay be realistic they're not going to be fluent in punjabi but they can have a good understanding of it and if they can commute say you know basic things it's okay you know it's it's one, yeah. it's it's they'll have a bit of understanding they're not going to be like huh when someone asks them something because i did not want them to go to india and someone says something to them like oh you know uh or something basic things and they're like uh what like looking at i just i was just a bit like i don't want that you know what i mean i want them to have a very good understanding even if you speak back and it's very heavily english accented doesn't matter how does your husband um how how does your husband not respond but um feel when you guys are speaking in Punjabi or Hindi like I I would love to learn more about your relationship with your husband and how (laughs) he contributes to like the cultural upbringing of your child your children um I think he's used to it and this is the thing as well because my husband because and and that's why I felt a little bit like our stories are have got similarities, but they're quite different in a way as well. Because he is um, of Ghanaian descent, like his parents were, like came over from there and stuff. And some of his siblings were born there, so they came over later. And they they themselves, um, English is not their first language, so they've got very like um, a strong African accent when they talk. Um, but anyway, so he he was brought up with his own language as in not understanding it all yeah yeah, yeah. yes exactly exactly and so he was used to hearing other people speaking a different language around him and i think does he he speak to your children no he he doesn't no no because um uh, their parents one didn't want them to have an african accent and Mm. so they wanted them to just speak english so they weren't really encouraged to speak it or learn it or anything um and so he doesn't he I think he understands basic and can speak basic you know but it's not the way I speak Punjabi and but I think it's made him uh very kind of um accepting of people can speak different languages around you might not understand but you'll get the gist of it and I think he's actually picked up some Punjabi and I think he knows more than he lets on because he pretends yeah (laughs) especially if he grew up around it because Melvin he grew up in the south like he he's the first black man that I dated all the other men I dated I said were either Caribbean or African and Mm. two of my serious relationships were men um were with men who were either from Ghana or who were Ghanaian whose parents were from Ghana um and that is one of the reasons I I would date these men is because they had that cultural richness and that in that yeah. background and the flavor and the spice to their food and to the, the way yeah. that they spoke and to their clothes and their garb. Um, but they weren't Indian and I needed like separation from from Indian people. <laughs> right. um, but but, but, you- it, but it is like that. It is it is. I do find that that there are those similarities. So I, I can understand what you're saying there. Yeah, because and and he probably enjoys Indian food, Punjabi food, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So Melvin, it's I have to like be very picky with what I make for him because he didn't grow up eating different kinds of foods. He didn't, you know. I introduced him to Thai food and to Indian and to right. different cuisines, you know. Um, but it'd be it'd be really awesome to like, I don't know, learn more about Black culture so I could also bring that into the kitchen and not just be like you're Punjabi and here's Punjabi food and here's hip hop music because you're black, but like truly understand more about like right. the South. And, you know, I got a couple of books on like R and B music and on soul music and Melvin's mother, um, for Ashani's first birthday cooked like authentic Southern food. And I want to, I want to offer both of these to Ashani, but it's also so hard because it's like, 
you have, I have a job and, and I have a home to take care of. <laughs> yeah. I also have like my own life. Like I need to work out and do my writing and it's just like so much. <laughs> but, but you know what, if this makes you feel better, I only started cooking Ghanaian food, like bothering to even learn um, about two years ago. Oh and, really? And we've actually been together for 20 years. Wow, you've been together for 20 years? Damn, you look yeah. like you're my age. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a bit older than you. <laughs> but yeah, I was a child bride. Um, no, yeah, we've been together for 20 years. And and I've only over the last couple of years bothered to learn from my sister-in-law how to what cook. Certain... You, what changed for you that you made you want to start cooking? Because um, it was lockdown and we... <laughs> And we were like, oh, let's cook I food. That, let's cook food from different different <laughs> cuisines, kids, to keep ourselves busy. And my husband was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why didn't you actually try to cook Ghanaian food since, like, this is an Indian and Ghanaian family? And it was like, oh, yeah, why don't we do that? Um, it was such an obvious thing to do. And then, like, my sister-in-law, actually, she, she kind of taught me before, but I was just kind of, oh, okay, fine, I'll make that one day. And then I was like, oh, you know, I really want to learn. And... Um, and then, and he was so happy, like, it was so nice because it wasn't the greatest at first, but he was actually like, oh, wow, you've actually bothered to learn to make this. Um, and so, and then my kids were like, oh yeah, we love jollof rice and all. And now it's a standard thing. It's like a standard I thing. I love that. And, the, and when um, my family come over, like when we have gatherings and my family come over, um, they actually, they're like, oh, have you not made jollof rice? Where is it? really like, so what yeah was your family accepting what is your husband's name tony tony is your family was your family accepting of tony from the beginning or was it something they had to get used to they had to get used to it yeah it i think um it took about a year to from oh you're going out with someone black and oh my god like what's happening and what are you why are you doing this and you're going to be ostracized and all this kind of thing and just the fear well, of it all trying to dissuade me all this kind of stuff I, I didn't really have that uh I didn't I don't think I had that fear of my I'm going to get disowned because me I've spoken about this with my husband sometimes and been very honest and the fact that if I had thought I'm going to get disowned I don't know if I would have then gone down this route because mm. I'm yeah because I am so close to my family and always have we're very close as a family and you know I've been that good girl as well and you know and I was happy to do that and you know they knew that about me and okay we've taught a sense and all this kind of thing and they gave us a moderate kind of amount of freedom and whatever but I I knew that they're not going to disown me and if they did how would I then cope because then it's like I feel like maybe we might have been that couple where in every argument I would have been like, well, I gave up my whole family for you yeah. and now you have yeah. to eat every single thing to me. That's yeah. quite a yeah. big thing to put on somebody. And I no, and no. I would have definitely said things like that. I know I would have. How old were you when you met him? Um, 23, 23. He was probably one of your first, like your first serious relationship. Then. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it, you know, and, I, and then that was the kind of uh, phase where, they were like, oh, you know, we're looking for Rishte for you and all this kind of stuff, which I was quite open to, you know, and it's only because of the fact that they were like, oh, you know, don't you want to meet this Rishta? And I thought you were into this and whatever. And I was like, no, no, no. And then they kind of found out. And then um, 
it was just like I said, dissuading. Oh, what are you doing? Blah blah blah. What are your kids going to be? You know, all this stuff. You know what it's like, right? Yeah, all right, this stuff yeah, to dissuade yeah. you, which I did have to think about. Which is a very confusing time because you do have to think about these things, and especially you know, at that age. Yeah, like when when I was twenty, I was a young twenty three, like. I was a late bloomer when it came to self-advocacy and understanding who I actually was. Right. When I was 23, I was a child. When I was 23, I very much stayed in my relationship, even though I knew that it wasn't right for me because my parents loved him and he was like the perfect Punjabi jack boy, you know? Right, yeah. So I totally yeah. feel that. I mean, ideally, like everybody kind of well most people would like to marry somebody who their parents approve of and they're best friends with and all this kind of stuff and you know so I had to think about it it was a quite a lot like a lot of turmoil inside for me as well to be like oh you know it's not going to be like this are you okay with that you know what I mean um but I think things changed when they were so scared of like, oh, what's everyone going to say, this, that. And then um, my grandmas, my daddy and my nanny, who were both alive at that time, then they kind of told them, oh, this is what she wants to do and all this. And and they just said, you know what? Both of them, they were in different countries, India, and then uh, nanny was in England, daddy was in India. And they both said the same, something along the same lines of, oh, um, is he um, educated? Is he from a good family? Is he a good boy? Does he treat her well? literally wow. those things and they were like yes 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 they were like we'll just let her marry him then that's literally that is unheard of i cannot tell you Rena, how many game changers hmm. how many women like i would easily say dozens and dozens like dozens and dozens of women have either emailed me or dm'd me on instagram or somehow found me on linkedin or another social media platform to just ask me like how did i do it you know my i i live in england i live in canada i live here i live there i live in india i live in america and i my partner is black or my partner is african and my parents don't support it and that's wild that your daddy and your nanny back then yeah. were like, let her do what she wants to do. He's a good person. Because these girls who are reaching out to me, they have good men. And my advice to them has, you know, I, and I think it's because like, I kind of did it, which is like, listen, your family is important. But if you love this man and you leave him and you abandon your love, because of your parents and the only reason your parents don't want you to be with this man is because he is black then what you're ultimately saying is their way of thinking is okay their way of thinking is right and you are becoming part of the problem you are abandoning a good man that you love in favor of prejudice and if you can sleep with if you can go to sleep at night and you're okay with that and that's the person you want to be, accept it and own it, but look yourself in the face and recognize that that's what you're doing. And so my responses have been a little bit harsh. Um, I, I'm usually like gentler with the way that I say it um, because that's what I would have needed to hear if I was in my early 20s and my parents didn't want me to be with a man that I truly loved, who was truly good. I think in order for me to have made the what I would think is the right decision, which is like, you can't not be with someone because they're black. I would have had to I would have had to hear it phrased in that way. Because it's one thing if it's like he's not part of our culture, he's 
he's, um, you know, he can't support you. That's, that's one thing if your parents don't support that because of that, you know, it could be a Chinese person or a Brazilian person or a white person or a black person and it wouldn't really matter. But if it, if you're telling me that your parents specifically don't want you to be with a black person, that's, that's, if you listen to them, you're, you're, mm. contributing. yeah. And and also, I I am a, I guess I'm just a true romantic, and I always think that like, true love is actually not that easy to find in this world. So when you find it, you should keep hold of that. You know, if that that person is a gem, and you have something that is so special, and you're going to let that go because oh, you tick all the boxes, but you're the wrong way. Like, are you crazy? You know, I I. I... I don't think I'm a romantic, but I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, this is something I, I like to share because most people would not share this, um, which is I actually left Melvin um, a year and a half before I got pregnant because I was like, listen, if you really want to be with me, you need to go to therapy. What we're doing right now, you have so much trauma from your background. I have so much trauma from my dad being an alcoholic and being abusive that the two of us together is just toxic. We right. both need to fix ourselves. So we actually separated for a few months and then we came back together and like we're even stronger. But in that interim, um, his his business is in the events industry and it was COVID and events were like shut down. Yeah. So finances were hard. So if when my parents said, could he support you? And I was like, right now it's hard. We'll have to support each other. But I, I, what I said, I was like, Mama. And, and mind you, my ex-husband's parents were like multimillionaires. So big difference. Um, and when I left, I left with nothing. I didn't take anything with me. Um, I said to my mom and my dad, I love this man. I am so in love with his soul and with the person he is. I would rather live under a bridge with him than be with anyone else. I would rather be poor and have nothing materially with him than be with anyone else now Baba you G say has, you're not a romantic when you're saying lines <laughs> like this well, it was melvin it was him it was him there is something so magical about this man that there is nothing that would have prevented me from being with him and and we've been through we have gone through so much together i've had so many people be like why are you you know it would be so much easier if you weren't with him um and now on the other side of that I look at my friends and I'm like, I have like the healthiest relationship <laughs> because we've gone through so much together. We've fought so hard to be together mm. and we've developed this radical transparency and there's literally nothing in the world I would not do for this man and that he would not do for me. And we've shown it to each other time and time again. Um, so I don't think I'm a romantic, but what you said, I totally feel. Mm. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't, I actually, cause you know, I've been doing this podcast for a while and you know broadcasting for a while and stuff on on different radio stations but i i made the decision um a few years ago that i'm not going to speak about my relationship anymore and like and and that's why it's funny that i've, I've actually we've been speaking about it now because it's normal and natural to do it. and i wanted to speak to you because you know i found it like really kind of, I really admired the fact that you've written this book and I wanted to you know support you on this and kind of hear your story and and get it out there um because that's what this podcast is about you know that kind of sisterhood so uh, and, and it's so it's not for me to you know it's just because we're talking that I'm talking about it but the reason I was like I don't want to actually 
talked about this anymore I don't want to be some kind of case study experiment type person is because um I was actually um part of this radio documentary like this BBC radio documentary ages ago and and it was I think it was called something like the last taboo or something like that and you know me and my husband were in there and my um my mom and my dad I think about oh we didn't want to marry her to marry him because of blah 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 it's such a taboo the whole thing was about that taboo of you know Indian and black um, love and all this kind of thing and people that I um, knew made it and they kind of begged me to be in it and my husband didn't want to be and I was like oh no please it's good because you can expose this and it will help people and whatever and so he was kind of not comfortable he's quite private he was not comfortable about it and then he did it and then after that um you know I've been on invited on like radio shows and whatever to talk oh how is it for you you're raising kids of different religions and different race and what is it like and whatever and I just got to a point where I'm like I'm just gonna I'm actually just gonna live my life I'm I'm going to just live my life like I think what you're doing is amazing you know you've looked into this you've researched this and you're actually helping people but I was like I'm going to if you want to use me as a case study if you want to look at me and be like oh you know what they're living their lives really nicely so that's why they are the example then that's on you I'd, I'm happy to be that example but I think I'm not going to be the mouthpiece anymore yeah and I think it's also different from like having someone highlight all the things that are wrong like you're like this is a taboo versus like Mm. look at these two cultures that are so seamlessly interwoven with each other and Mm. one of my beta readers um had said when they read my book like I wish you had talked more about you and Melvin like I want to hear more about your love story and you know I I want to hear more about how you guys met and like what you felt and all the things you went through together And I kind of felt the same way, which was like, it's not about me and Melvin. Like Melvin and I are not the mouthpiece, like you said, for Blindian relationships. What the point of my book is to show this is why the taboo exists. Mm. I'm not trying to highlight the taboo itself. I'm trying to highlight why the taboo exists. And that's why I dove so deeply into black history specifically and yeah. not necessarily into like my relationship with Melvin. And I, di- I dive into casteism and colorism, but there was this like hunger, even the feedback I get from some people who reach out to me, like, I love your book, but I wish I knew more. It's like, that's not the point of the book. The point of the book is to understand why as a community collectively, we have these prejudices against this community and and, and it's not the same thing as colorism. Colorism is tied into it. Casteism does mm. impact color, which impacts anti-blackness. Um, but I totally feel you. Actually, we had, um, our, our book designer wanted to use a photograph of me and Melvin, and Melvin was like, no. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my husband would have said the exact same thing. He would not have been happy with that. Yeah, like we... And, and that's, you know, I've gotten, um, I'm, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but I haven't really been marketing the book a lot. And that is because, and that's intentional. Um, writing the book was really hard. Revising the book was really hard. Marketing the book was really hard. I got a lot of racist shit in my message. Like someone called my daughter the N-word. Someone told me that black babies are stupid and grow up to be nothing. And I'm wow. like, I am opening myself up to so much hate while I'm trying to do mm. good. I wrote the book, Bus Gam <laughs> mm, Yeah. And, and you when know? you're a mom, you must feel kind of 
like it's a bit scary when people say things like that right because you want you're like oh well I have a child I want to protect my kid and I don't yeah, want you to know too much about her I had I had a woman email me yesterday and she was like was your daughter a mistake wow. and I was like she was a surprise like mind your language words matter she was not a mistake she was a surprise and she is like the center of my universe and then it was like your daughter's very pretty and she looks more Indian than black so oh my god this that thing people love literally there has been so many people when my when my kids were born and bear in mind this was when you know we weren't on Instagram or anything like that you know we had Facebook I guess I didn't know anybody else who um had 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 was married to or in a relationship with a, a black person or and had had kids with a black person I didn't know anyone else right so um, everybody was like oh my god what's it gonna look like what's the baby gonna look like oh oh yeah she's more Indian oh yeah 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 she's got your color oh yeah oh her hair straight oh no it's going curly it was all this thing like exactly the same her hair was straight when she was born now it's like Ba-ding! yeah yeah I think my dad was like oh her hair's normal <laughs> he actually went oh her hair's normal it's like well it's uh curly but one of my cousins um I don't speak the, the 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 son of one of my my bua that I don't speak to. Apparently, when he saw a picture of Ishani, he was like, "She's not dark." It's like why? I mean, the thing is that Indian people say this to uh, a baby of two Indian people. They will say like, "Oh, you're dark and she's fair." Oh, please let her the baby go on your side. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, 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 so yeah. when you're with the actual black person, it's obviously more of a oh my god the baby better be fair it has to look Indian and what's the hair going to be like and all this kind of stuff and and it's like oh no I think they're looking more Indian as if it's such a big compliment and I'm going to get really happy or something or, you, you know, know what's weird Rina is I this is going to sound so weird and take this as you will and I don't want to offend anyone but here we are uh a part of me wishes she looked more black really That's yeah a... I, I don't that? know if it's for correcting or I feel so proud of the fact that I Melvin is her dad because I'm so proud of who he is as a human. And I tell him this where, you know, I'm glad I have a kid with you because God forbid we don't end up together for the rest of our lives. You're stuck with me somehow because we have this child. We have to yeah. co-parent. I never want to lose you. Right. Um, and a part of me wishes like, wow, I wish people would look at her and know like black people when they see her know she's black. But other people who are not black, like she looks mixed race, but they're like, what is she? Um, a part of me is just like, wow, I, I wish she, she was a little darker and, and she, she did look black. And I don't know if that's because I want her to feel stronger in her black identity. Cause I have that person's voice in my head saying your baby won't be black. I don't know what it is. Um, or if it's me just being like, screw Indians. Like I don't need any of you. And like, I'm proud of my child. You know what I mean? And she's beautiful. She's really beautiful. Black. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is um well but have, even have more children and then maybe I, they will because i like i said my three kids they're all different shades and they've all got different yeah. hair so the more kids you keep having you're gonna get <laughs> like a <laughs> yeah let me say melvin we were gonna have three and now he's like babe i'm good with one i was like we need to have at least two and he's like okay we're done at two i'm like can we i wanted four can we compromise at three <laughs> he's like uh, i think two is enough <laughs> And and you know what? You, this is the thing. It's like you you could have another child, and they could look like way darker. Like my my youngest daughter is 
basically a similar complexion to my husband and my eldest is similar to me and the middle one is in the middle and it's so funny because um I was it sounds so weird as well that I'm saying this but I actually was happy about the fact that my eldest daughter once started crying because her boy my um husband's sister said to her oh you're really fair like you're the fairest in the family yeah your skin's so nice and fair you look like Meghan Markle she started crying because she was so sad that she wasn't dark <laughs> enough that's weird for me to say but I I mean I, I I'm sad she cried but also like I love that she I know I what I mean it's like my kid's crying but I'm quite happy that you find you know happiness in wanting to be brown and celebrate your melanated skin but you know I know that a professional will listen to this conversation and be like this speaks to some sort of identity crisis in a <laughs> child she doesn't feel connected <laughs> this is the plight of the mixed race child listen you know what when you're from a community where you know you're trying to use fair and lovely and all that craziness and your kid is like oh I really love being brown and I want to be brown and I love my you know what I mean Ooh, it's so are you kidding 100 percent it's funny because Melfi uh we had our first glass of wine after having the I breastfed for a while so like I didn't drink alcohol and then mm. when he finally had hey, Melvin's always been a lightweight but he had a glass of wine and he goes babe gotta tell you something don't know if it's okay to say this but I never thought I never thought my baby would be light-skinned like this. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Because he's like, I mean, look at look at me. Look at, because mom's dark-skinned. He's like, look at me. Look at you, babe. You're, you're, you're not considered light-skinned. Shani's light-skinned. <laughs> yeah. Anything can happen. But even, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, in our family, like, um, we have kids who are lighter skin than my kids and both the parents are black so you know what I mean any it's just like yeah. one of those things but it's just it is interesting and and it, but it's a lot of learning I find as well like I'm finding that as they're getting older and I think you'll find this as well you probably are aware of this anyway there's there's a lot of learning that as a mom mm -hmm. of um mixed race kids who are both Indian and black you have to learn so much like even the hair like to do their hair like oh, I honestly I have got really like low maintenance I've got the most rubbish hair of my whole family because I can't be bothered I have two sisters whose hair is immaculate I don't care about my hair so I but then my kids I <laughs> you know it's a wash and go situation like you right so you know and you can't do that with the kids so no and, they, and yeah I feel guilty because like I still haven't figured it out. And I, I've been like stalking other blending couples on the internet to be like, what are you doing with your child's hair? Cause she just like collects dust in her hair yeah. everywhere and like things in her hair. And then it gets tangled and like the back is super dry and the top is like all coily. And I'm, I know her hair is going to change and the texture is going to change. But yeah, as a, as a parent to mixed race children, especially like black mixed race children, there are so many things we need to keep in mind. Like for me, one of the things that I want to enforce in Ishani is you need to be in the sun, however much you want. The sun is your friend. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't care how dark you get. Never, ever, ever be afraid of living your life because of the way that you look. Never be afraid of going to the beach, of spending the whole day out, of reading in the park because of the sun. I spent the first quarter century of my life afraid of the sun. It's quite that's sad. And that's sad because a lot of um, Indian girls, South Asian girls have felt the same, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so making sure I'm cognizant of 
of, of making, of dissuading her from following the path I followed in terms of giving into the beliefs and values of other people versus those that have been inherently nurtured that are good and that are based in kindness and in love. And also recognizing mm -hmm. the fact that, especially in America, like she is black and I have to be mindful. Like our nanny um, is from El Salvador. So she's not really super tapped into like, you know, we don't, so in America, there's this, there's this little baby cartoon named Gracie's Corner. I don't know if you heard if you have that if you've heard of her. She's this little. Um, she's a black girl, and she sings all these like popular kids songs, but it's like with hip hop. Mm -hmm. So it's like for for black children, like representation for black children. And there's a song in America that it's like five little monkeys jumping on the bed, one fell off and bumped their head. Mm -hmm. So Gracie's Corner's version of that is five little pandas jumping on the bed because the 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 you concept just don't, of monkeys black the no. Exactly. But our nanny is teaching Ashani animal sounds and she loves teaching Ashani ooh ooh ah ah. So Ashani's walking around going ooh ooh ah ah. And I'm like. <laughs> my Hello. husband would have uh, literally gone mad if he had heard anyone do that in this house. Oh my God, Melvin, Melvin was like, babe, what is, what is Ruth teaching Ashani? Babe, our, our child can't be walking around sounding like a monkey. I'm like, I didn't know she was doing that. I'll talk to her. I didn't know. Oh, I know, but I, you have to think about these things, yeah, right? Yeah, like my dad calls me monkey. And he called Ishani monkey once. I was like, Papa, you can't do that. You can't do that. But this yeah. is one of the things you cannot do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it is a lot of learning and learning and all that kind of thing. Do you think that you'll take her to India at any point? Like, what, What's your kind of, do you have a relationship with India? <laughs> Um, when I went to India, India, I got dysentery. Um, oh, <laughs> we all did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about it a lot because <clears throat> I've been wanting to like, I've seriously been thinking as Ishani gets older, I want to put her in Punjabi school, but kids are so awful and people can be so awful. And when I went to India, um, my dad was really uncomfortable because like groups of men were just like following us and asking if my, because my mother's very fair skin. And she, he was like, is your wife white? Is she Gori? Like what, what is your daughter? Is she single? And it was just very, very intense. Like there was zero personal space and having Ishani, I don't know. I'm like very concerned for her physical safety and her psychological safety. It's also one of the reasons I'm not sure I want to put her in Punjabi school because I remember how terrible kids were when I was little and I was Indian in a white yeah. world and Indian children. I don't know what they're going to be like with the, with yeah. the mixed race, you know? So like, I'm just very protective. So I don't know. I don't know. Mm. My okay. experience yeah. in India was really uncomfortable. Right. I mean, for me, like, I we grew up going to India a lot because like all my dad's family are there and we had a very strong connection with it like even the other day I was like oh I really miss it like I feel like you really? know I, yeah yeah I do like that get this India I get I, oh my I feel like a yearning to go like every few years I'm like oh I haven't been I need to like I really want to I need to go there again and be there and I, I honestly I love it that much that I, I considered like living there at one point and yeah, my, my little sister, like we were all born and brought up here. She actually went to live there for a few years. You know, my mom and dad spend a lot of time there, months and stuff. So I have that strong connection to it. So for me, I that was one of the things I was like, oh, what's it going to be like then when I go, you know, with my black husband and my, you know, black kids to India and all this. And what, because that's, because for me, it's like you can assimilate, you look, you know, put on a suit, nobody knows, yeah. right, until you open your mouth. Um, 
so that was something to get over for me and a change for me like you know what was it like for you um it was really nice because uh my family there love my husband they get on really well with him he's they've got their own relationships you know with each other and you know they're very close with my kids and really made an effort with us so that was really nice and and everything was nice and and you know he liked everything the kids liked everything the staring is a thing you know because you know you guys were indian are indian and people stared at you and you felt uncomfortable so obviously imagine somebody who has a husband who is black and who's really tall and the kids are mixed there's something that no one has ever seen before so you know like on the metros and things like that it there's a lot of staring there was a lot of staring and there was a lot of craziness in terms of um you know people wanting to take photos of my husband yep um even like to the point where like they'd ask my kids if I was away they'd say oh can you take a picture of me and your dad please like that me shaking his hand outside the Taj Mahal a guy was like oh can I get a picture please and my husband thought he meant to take a picture of the guy against the backdrop of the Taj Mahal which is normal but he was like no I would like a picture with you shaking your hand in front of the Taj Mahal can somebody take the picture do you think he was like someone famous I don't know it was like there was paparazzi or something I don't know I I think I don't know because the only people that kind of look like him there are like you know like uh, IPL uh, cricket players that are from like um, the Caribbean or somewhere I don't know um, they're those they might have seen people like that you know so I guess sports do kind of break it down a little bit to get people you know used to different kinds of people but he that he found that really bizarre that is bizarre obviously that is bizarre, bizarre. That's super. I mean, Melvin gets free, gets weirded out when uh, he gets into cars and like, he takes like a, a black Uber and people think he's like in the music industry and like try to like talk him up because they think he's someone like in the music industry. And he's like, I have a fabric I work in fabric. <laughs> so I can't imagine going to a different country and having people just outright coming up to you and like, can I take a photo? Yeah. So that was a bit like, you know... It's, and, and like I said, he's quite a private kind of guy. He's not like some well, flamboyant. You know like, what? It, you're constantly aware of how you look, yeah. and like that's so uncomfortable to be just highlighted for how you look. Yeah, and 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 it is, you know, it is like that. And there there have been racist incidents in Delhi because like that's where we went mostly, and that's, you know, and and I was a bit worried because there have been like there's there's some African students there and they haven't had the best treatment a lot of the yeah. time. So it was, was something that I was aware of. And, you know, luckily it was fine. Everybody had a good time. My husband liked it. He was like, okay, that's the staring's a bit much and it's all the paparazzi's a bit much and stuff. But he's not like, I wouldn't go again. Like he's been twice and he probably would go again. And the kids, I really would, I, I for me, because I grew up that way, you know? So yeah. I kind of want that for them. But then also I am aware that, you know, we have to have a balance of going to the motherland because there's another motherland, which is Ghana. So, yes, you know, I was going to say, you guys going to go to Ghana? <laughs> we are. We are, we're actually going quite soon, actually. Um, oh, awesome. So that will be interesting. And for me, it will be quite eye opening because I'll be the one who's not from, the, you but know, I my kids are from. There's a pretty big Indian diaspora in Africa, and I know that there it's a big one in Kenya. I'm not sure about in um, in Ghana, but um, it's funny you say you say when you t you talk about your your experience of taking him to India. I have nothing to compare it to other than I wanted to go to this um, 
Brown Girl Mag event for Valentine's Day in Los Angeles. And I decided to not go because I just did not want to put my partner in a situation in his own city where he would be uncomfortable because they were talking about like, everyone's welcome. Everyone's, you know, but I'm like, I know my people. I know how we think. Mm -hmm. And I don't want any whispers about, and I don't want my partner to feel like anyone's looking at him or wondering who he is or why he's there. And I don't know if that's something I have to work on because I'm so protective of him and so protective of my daughter but then I also write a book about it. So how protective am I really? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, like when you're, you want your child to be kind of part of the community and to have to experience the culture and stuff. And you, I, I've had those concerns before as well. Oh, you know, I'm asking you to go to a mandir. You know what I mean? I'm asking you to go to a gurdwara and all this kind of thing. Um, and it's going to be weird and I don't know how it's going to be. I understand. But then you probably have to get to a point where you do yeah, that, and, that it, and it and it might, and it will be probably uncomfortable. And you know, I remember once um, I went to my friend's wedding actually, and it was like um, the Hindu wedding. So um, I'd had a baby, my first baby. Like she's only about ten weeks old or something. And obviously, I'm there. My sorry, my husband's all suited and booted, and obviously we're a couple and whatever. And um, and then the baby, she was in the pram. And this, the, the wedding ceremony was going on, right? So, you know, around the fire and everything, everybody was seated facing towards it. And I remember, so my daughter woke up from her nap. When I took her out of her pram, I'm not joking, the whole row literally started craning their heads to look at the baby. It's like, okay, someone's getting married. Like my one of my best friends is getting married. They're getting married on the stage now. Because, they wanted to see what your child yeah, looked like. Yeah, yeah. And I, and you know what I mean? And I, I'm not one of those people that just kind of like, I don't really notice when people are looking and whatever, but I did notice that. So it must've been quite a, you know. Yeah, I see, I don't, but I do have to just suck it up and do it because she's going to be 15 months in a week and I have never taken her to go to the water and I've been wanting to go to go to the water for a long time. Yeah. And I just, I, I need to get over my fear and my concern and just deal with it as it comes. Because like I said, like I, I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite now where it's like, I don't want her to have rose tinted glasses, but mommy's going to protect you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, need to, I, I, need th to I think, um, I think when you, you, you've done things like that a few times and then you kind of get used to the fact that it's not going to be how it was when you used to go with your family. It's never going to be like that anymore because now yeah. you are actually a mom of a child that is, you know, Indian, but black as well. Right. And <clears throat> and they look like they are and so it's never going to be how it was and when you go over that and you're like you know what this is something new this is the way it is for us and we are going to go out about our business but like I said to you if if then we then have to be the example of the, the there's that family but oh yeah do you know what they come here it's completely normal they're that family they're cool Normalize no, it, yeah. you know what I mean it's normal so then just go about your business and then you will just be that family and it's just I think it's just that thing of like getting used to that idea yeah I could talk to you forever but I really I know I know <laughs> this was supposed to not go over an hour but obviously we've had a lot to say but um I know I know um <laughs> I know but we'll we will keep in touch I'm I'm sure about that but yeah. um I want to just um end on just you know asking you about your book again like where can people get hold of it just share some details so, 
Yeah, you can buy the book um, where books are sold online. Um, Amazon and Barnes & Noble are the two popular ones. It's called Love and Prejudice, Unlearning Anti-Blackness as a South Asian. And all of the book profits um, from my sales will be going to Know Your Rights Camp. I definitely recommend, especially if you live in the United States, to look into the organization. It's really amazing. Um, and yeah, if you do read the book, uh, please reach out to me and tell me what you think. I had... I. All the anxieties I have about putting my story out there get alleviated when I get some of these messages. I had a woman from England reach out to me who's 65 and who said she has never felt seen until she read my book because she's um, Jamaican and Indian. And she's never read anything that mm -hmm. discusses the question of identity with that combination so clearly. So please let me know if you read it and what you think about it. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and thank you to everybody for listening. Um, that's all for this episode. Until next week. Bye. <laughs> Peace out, Bernie. Bye.